You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. This is the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage the Versus Machine. The machine is on, and it's time again to run two items through it. I'm Joseph Burge. And I'm Ryan Stevens. And this is the Versus Machine. The Versus Machine is all about education. Education of the source, of the adaptation, and of what happens when you take something from one medium and change it to another. But let's meet today's topic. Dark comedies have long lulled us into a sense of security like no other movie can. Playing on our sick and twisted sides allows us to laugh in ways that many of us would like to pretend we never would. And in seeing a a dark comedy, it seems the black and white generation knew better than anyone on how to play on those sensibilities. And frankly, Roger Corman knew sick humor. This is and always will be especially true for Little Shop of Horrors. The courageous story of what happens when someone who wants to be loved finds the, the promise of love. Well, where his movie felt like a guilty pleasure, the musical feels like an open farce. It will always seem, especially to us here at the Versus Machine podcast, that turning anything into a musical turns it literally into a caricature. And whether that is good or bad will always be up to the viewer and not anyone involved in the production. And there is no better example than that of the 1982 Alan Merkin slash Howard Ashman musical adaptation of this classic film. And maybe viewers should know that something as iconic as a film will always make an iconic musical. Let's get started. Ready? Yep. I'm flipping the switch. Seymour. In the movie, Seymour is an evil idiot. In the musical, Seymour is a foolish and unwitting participant. We kind of have two polarizing views of the main character in this between the musical and the movie. You know, the movie is from 1960, so it's from a time when movies were still black and white and they were still very dry and that kind of dry humor. And that's especially true of dark comedies. Mm -hmm. So the Seymour in the movies kind of just evil. Yeah. He ends up being more of a villain than he does a hero or even an anti-hero. He's just kind of evil throughout the entire thing. I mean, like he just ends up killing everyone by his own hands. And it's like, it's kind of like, oh my God, this this guy has, and he walks around with no remorse whatsoever about it. He just does it. And it's kind of unnerving to watch him kill people and then feed it to the plant and then kind of feel like eh, everything's fine. I mean, the success is happening and it's fine and great and nothing's wrong. But in actuality, it's like, you're watching and going, how is this person not feeling bad for what they're doing? <laughs> and in the musical, it felt more like he was just involved mm -hmm. it wasn't like he i mean to to an exact difference he killed the dentist with a drill in the movie mm -hmm. in the musical the dentist dies because he overdoses on laughing gas that he gave to himself exactly in a very bizarre apparatus fishbowl head mm -hmm. that he gave himself which is really weird to say <laughs> the least by itself but there's a big difference between Seymour and one of the other because simply for the fact that it's a choice and they choose in the movie to do the bad things, whereas in the musical, it's more like it's just kind of happening. Exactly. And it loses a little bit of tone when you do that. It loses a little bit of the essence. And I'm not sure if it's better or worse because it's still telling a story that's compelling either way. It's just you're losing a little bit of the point when you take that away because you're making Seymour seem like oh it's okay everything's happy which if you go to the ending of the musical that they showed to mm -hmm. people where well the ending of the movie musical exactly the movie. where he lives that's a great idea but yeah. in usually in both the musical and the movie he dies and in the musical you feel much worse for him when he dies exactly. because he really didn't do anything exactly. by his own hand whereas in the movie he did everything by his own hand. So you don't necessarily feel bad when he dies. However, 
I still, you know, this is later on. We have this later on in our notes, but I still say that he's evil no matter what, mm -hmm. whether by action or by non-action, he's still evil. But I, I also want to point out that Seymour, the setting that Seymour is in in the musical is much different than in the movie itself. In the movie, he lives with his mother who's, what what is that word? Hypochondriac. Hypochondriac, thank you. And she's like always like, oh, I'm sick. Oh, please help me. Oh, I'm in, I'm needy and I need help. And oh, and it's like different because Seymour has kind of that person to be around and to live for while in the musical, he has literally nothing to live for whatsoever. Nothing. He was born an orphan. He lives in the lives basement in the shop. of Mushnik shop. He lives in the basement of the shop. And, and, and to the point where it's like he lives literally in the gutter, which is in Skid Row, in this horrible place, and he has nobody, and he's basically brought up himself. So he has nothing to live for. Even like in one song in Skid Row, he goes, I asked God, what am I for? And he tells me, gee, I'm not sure. Just sweep the floor. How could you live that way and not feel so bad to a point where, you know, you finally have this plant, this thing that's telling you that you can have something to live for if you just do what I say? Then it makes more sense for Seymour to actually try to act on that rather than in the movie. He kind of did already have a life. He had a place to live. He had a family, sort of, even though it was kind of a broken one. And and that's that's how I feel. <laughs> and that's where we come back to it's a very dry humor in the 1960 versus the 1982, 1982 musical, where in the 80s it was a little bit more of a kind of mind time where mm -hmm. we had a little bit smarter humor. In the 60s it was a little bit dumber humor. It was just... It's funny. It doesn't matter why it's funny. It's funny. We had to be a little smarter with our audience in 1980s, so they had to give that extra edge to it. Exactly. Whereas in the 60s, we could have totally believed that just for no reason this guy went around killing people because it's funny, and funny <laughs> things happen. And I, I think that we kind of feel a little bit more about you know, how Seymour would actually do things and how he would actually say things because when he went to go out and kill people, he didn't actually do it himself. And he had nothing to live for. So even if he did try to kill them himself, then you wouldn't really feel that bad because he really has nothing else to live for. So this is the only chance in life, honestly. And the motivation of Seymour between the two is extremely different because because of the fact that he had something in one and he didn't in the other. Mm -hmm. Especially since in the movie, the plant never offers, or Audrey too never offers Seymour anything. Exactly. And he the, never says, I'm going to give you money or mm -hmm. cars or anything like he does in the musical. It's just simply feed me. Oh, okay, I'm going to go rob the cemetery and get you some food. And then for like, some reason, mind control happens halfway through. And it's it's kind of like the motivation is, isn't is there mm -hmm. to where the two Seymour seem kind of like completely different people. Whereas exactly. the Seymour in the musical feels like he needs motivation to mm -hmm. do things. The Seymour in the movies just kind of like, well, it's something to do, and so I'm going to do it. Yep, pretty much. Audrey 2, Audrey Jr. In the movie, Audrey is an incredibly intelligent villain. And in the musical, Audrey is a sly-talking temptress. Once again, it's two kind of weird opposites we have here because... And it's all about motivation, and for some reason, the motivation in both seems to change a lot with a lot of the characters. The Audrey 2, or Audrey Jr., as it's known in the movie, which I'm not really sure why they decided to change it. I guess maybe it seemed cooler to call it Audrey 2. I'm not really sure. But the Audrey 2, or the plant, we can call it the plant if the you plant. would rather. The plant in the movie is more just concerned not with taking over the world, but with just eating. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much just about eating. It's very primal. And in the musical, it feels a lot more like it's about taking over the world, to which I respond, it doesn't really make sense for the change. I, I understand that the change is different because of the campiness of turning it into a musical, but it just it feels weird to have the two different motivations. It feels like somebody watched the movie and said, these characters don't have enough reasons to do what they're doing, so we changed it. But even then, so, I mean, when it comes to a musical and turning it into a movie, you have to kind of do those things. You have to give people more motivation because everything's going to be heightened to the extreme. It's kind of like, okay, let's take these characters and basically turn them into a live cartoon. And so you have to think, okay, how would I turn an evil plant that only just wants to eat things because it's hungry and likes human flesh? How do I make that to something that actually seems visceral, that actually seems like it, it they're basically giving it meat. 
you know. Whereas with Seymour, they took the meat away. Exactly. They took the evil out of Seymour, and, and they put all the it, evil and, in the plant. Exactly. Which is, which is really kind of strange when you think about it, because the plant in the movie seems effortlessly more intelligent than the plant in the musical. Oh, yeah. Because the plant in the movie does not offer Seymour anything, mm -hmm. just simply tricks him into giving him stuff all the time by literally doing nothing but asking for food. And I always imagine the musical version of the plant being like this guy who, you know, Seymour's walking down the street and suddenly this drug dealer comes up and says, hey, you want some dope? Like, it is what, it is what it seems like, you know? It's that, it's that, it's kind of like a PCA kind of thing. You know how, like, the, oh, don't do drugs kind of thing mm -hmm. only it's a plant doing it instead and that's really <laughs> and that's really a sign of especially the time period in which it was written in the 80s where that kind of thing was really that's big why I said it. <laughs> those kind of characters were really big in the 80s so it makes sense that they would change it whereas in the 60s those kind of characters weren't as big yet and people weren't as big into, you know, that sly-talking, temperous kind of thing well, as like, they were in the 80s. Even in the 60s, if you think about all the villains, they're all very, I'm going to take over the world. <laughs> you know, it's very um, cheesy kind of humor. And so I think that's why they went, you know, the more, you know, we're going to make this kind of the villain that you see in a Saturday morning cartoon. Okay. Where it's and like I, very simple. And, I, and I see that. The plant, to me, will always be that kind of soulful foil to Seymour who's very bland. Mm -hmm. Seymour is bland in both of them. In yeah. both of them, Seymour is a very bland person. So the plant is kind of the soulful adage to bland Seymour. Mm -hmm. And it seems like they almost balance each other out, even though they are two people who should not associate, should not be together. Exactly. They almost balance each other out in this strange way that Seymour and Audrey, the Audrey the woman, never do ever. Exactly. Because they're, they're like one in their own world. If you think about their relationship together with, with Audrey and Seymour, they're kind of like two people that should be in a cookie-cutter 1960s sitcom TV show that are placed in this horrible place in the middle of Skid Row, you know, in downtown ghetto. <laughs> in the ghetto? <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. If we have all these characters that are very bland, we have to have something that goes along with that. And to me, the plant and also the doo-wop girls, I like to call them doo-wop girls, the street urchins, they do the same thing. They kind of bring that balance back together in the musical. Not so much in the, the movie, though, because I feel like with the plant, it's supposed to just kind of pull the the world together and also push the story together rather than it being a balance between characters. Because when you look at the plant in the movie, he's not as, he like literally his voice sounds like, feed me. And that's not, and he, it's just like, I don't, I don't really know how to, how would I say that? I would say that the character when it's younger yeah. has less soul in it, mm -hmm. but that's similar to the musical. The, the character when it's older feels when a character's older, it feels more intuitive in the movie, just like it does in the musical. Now, granted, in the musical, it's more soulful. I mean, mm -hmm. for the love of God, it sounds like CeeLo Green voices the plant <laughs> in almost every version that Can we've we watched. Have a version where CeeLo Green plays the plant. Well, he was a hot tub in American Dad, so <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure he can get away with that. Which pretty much was like the same exact character. I think the biggest difference, though, is the plant offers him things in the musical and doesn't in the, the movie. movie. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a big distinction from the two mm -hmm. and probably the most important one to remember. Yeah. Audrey. In the movie, Audrey is a vapid but intelligent damsel. In the musical, Audrey is a dumb, blonde damsel in distress. It's really hard to say that they're different. They are different... But in the same aspect, they're the same. And the difference can really be said in the fact that in the movie, Audrey has a last name. And in the play, she does not have a last name. Never given one. In the musical, Audrey is simply just Audrey. In the movie, Audrey is Audrey Folquard. And it's that's what makes it different basically because in the movie, she's a person. In the musical, she's just there to be in trouble and be saved by Seymour. And be the love interest. And I, and, But that's the problem with it, though. In the movie, I feel like she really had more of a mind. You know, the things that she were, was doing wasn't very mindless. You know, she was just very 
you know, she was flighty. She was kind of like, I'm going to look at this now. Oh, you need help? I'm going to go over there now. Like, it, she she was, she was really have a mind to think something bad is going on because she doesn't really care. <laughs> you know, she's, she's just there to, you know, I'm living life. It, it, was, it was almost like a 1960s housewife. And again, both of these things, the musical and the movie, are very indicative of the time that they were written. They're very big archetypes. They're all of the people and all of the things happening are huge archetypes. But I will want to. I do want to say this though. Although the Audrey in the movie was a 1960s housewife, the Audrey in the musical wanted to be a 1960s housewife, which may have been, you know, a kind of a hat tip to the old to the exactly. to the source material. It was kind of like it was like kind of going, let's not make her that. Let's make her want to be that but since she's in this world where she can't be she just longs for it instead and i think that gives her a bigger dynamic and even then so it's just weird because she doesn't even have a last name but i feel like the audrey in the musical has more of a reason to aspire to what she wants to be than the movie version does i mean if you think about it what what was audrey's motivation in the movie I'm not sure she had one. Exactly. She, she did just not kind of have existed. one. She had no motivation in the movie to me. She just existed. Even though she has a last name, she and just And she existed. has more of a personality than the one in the musical. Exactly. But the one in the musical actually longed for something. Even though she doesn't really have a personality, she actually has a reason to be there. You know? Because even though- To get though beat up by the dentist. No. Even though Seymour was there, Seymour was there to long to have a purpose. She was there to have a different purpose than what she thought she had. I mean, even then, so the Audrey in the mu- in, in the musical, she constantly was like in tasteless outfits. She looked kind of like a hoe, a whore, if you will. She Little looked. Shop of whores. She was dressed Little like shop. a whore. Little like, shop and, of whores. And, and that's how she thought of herself as. She thought of herself as a Skid Row whore. I have to be a Skid Row whore because that's all my worth Ryan, is. Right. I grew up in the gutter. Yeah, she grew up in the gutter, and so that's why I feel like when I look at the movie. I feel like she may have had a last name, but she didn't have that much more of a purpose than the one in the musical. I think in both cases, she's kind of a throwaway character that you could almost place anyone there. Well, that's very true. I mean, she could have been pretty much any girl as long as she was skinny and pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Mushnick. In the movie, Gravis Mushnick is an incredibly Jewish and suspicious man. In the musical... Mr. Mushnick is a greedy, money-grubbing businessman. There's an important distinction to make before we do anything. We're not trying to be racist, but everything that Mushnick does in the movie is so incredibly stereotypically Jewish, it's hard to describe him as anything else. Almost every word that comes out of his mouth is some kind of stereotypically Jewish phrase. Mushugana. Which he calls the plant like six times. And it's it's a little bit strange because in the movie he plays a much smaller part in doing anything with Seymour. He's literally just there to figure out that Seymour killed someone in the movie. And, and also to run the shop. But that's And I don't even see him doing that most of the time. Exactly. Well well while in the musical, he's very hands on. I, I think it's it's like a good distinction between the two is in the movie. The movie starts out with him firing Seymour, while in the musical, he's just like, I don't know what to do with this shop anymore. I'm done. Go home. I can't do this anymore. We're not getting any money. And so, like, Mr. Mushnick was there to run the shop in the movie, but in the musical, he actually had some type of heart there. He wanted it to thrive, and it did not. I think that distinction is very important, too. And I think in the musical, he plays a much bigger part because he's that push that pushes Mm -hmm. Seymour over the edge you know he offers Mushnick and Son is the song where he offer where he offers to adopt Seymour but not because he cares about Seymour at all because he wants Seymour's fame and money that's the only reason why and I think and I think and then so Mr. Mushnick is almost like the plant for two seconds he's like I'm gonna give you something else since you're doing all this good stuff I'm gonna make you my son and I'm going to have you live here with me forever is that cool and then he <laughs> essentially wants to steal all of the fame from oh, yeah. Seymour and once he finds out Seymour is killing people he's not so concerned about Seymour killing people is he's more concerned about his fame exactly. going away he's like oh no I should probably save it and that's why you know in the um the supper time song 
he's basically going in the middle of the song they stop it so he can go look what you have to do is just get out of town and i won't tell anyone all you have to do is tell me how to take care of the plant and that's all you have to do and i was like okay and in, and in the movie <laughs> mushnik is a little bit is probably just as evil but in a different way because halfway through the movie instead of trying to get Seymour to get out of town once he figures out the plant's killing people, he decides to spend all night staring at the plant and sitting in the shop. Exactly. And then he gets and then he almost gets mugged, so he feeds the mugger to the plant. Which to me it tells a lot of what that character is in the movie because he has no real purpose other than to go, I'm suspicious of this plant. Oh, it's what I think it is. I'm not gonna do much about it though. But because he doesn't. It, in he the doesn't movie, do he anything. doesn't do anything. <laughs> he, go, and, he literally just takes off and, with Audrey after Seymour gets killed in the movie and comes back like six years later when the plant's dying and just goes, oh, you know, that's Seymour. He was into a lot of trouble. That That's literally <laughs> all he does. Well, in the movie. He like, like tries, to, tries to rat Seymour out exactly. and everything. While in the musical, he actually, you know, does something he yeah. has motivation to do things and he actually has a reason on why he dies you know and that's another thing he's so important in the musical that he dies that tells you a lot right there in, in the movie he doesn't die he doesn't do anything there's a whole song devoted to him dying so to me there's a lot more purpose for him to be there just saying dr phoebus far and dr orin scrivello in the movie, the dentist is named Dr. Phoebus Farr. He is a sadistic creep. And in the musical, the dentist is Orin Scrivello. He is an evil, sadistic, and physically abusive drug addict. I really don't want to spend that much time on the dentist because the dentist's only real purpose in either one is to die. Yeah. He is one of the... In the movie, he's not the first person that gets fed to the plant yeah. because... Seymour originally robs a cemetery and steals a bunch of bodies to feed to the plant. Which I still don't understand because I feel like, didn't he want like live bodies? It doesn't matter, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but in the musical, his big purpose is he's the first person that Seymour feeds to the plant. Yeah. And the only reason why it's important that he feeds the dentist to the plant in the musical is because the plant and him have, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the plant and him have a conversation where... The plant basically just says, he abuses Audrey. Kill him and feed him to me. No, it's more, yeah, well, yes, that happens. But I feel like the scene in the middle of the song Feed Me is very important. Where, you know, he goes, you know, I'll make it worth your while. The plant goes, I'll make it worth your while. Right when, you know, he comes in, the, the dentist comes in with Audrey because she forgot her coat and fell off the bike and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then which, he by the beats way, her in front of Seymour. <laughs> which, by the way... Who doesn't stop when somebody falls off a, a, a moving motorcycle? <laughs> how, how evil do you have to be? Anyway, <laughs> I just thought about that. Anyway, um, he basically hits her right in front of Seymour. And, and in my mind, that kind of clicks something in your head to go, I got to get this guy out of her life. I have to do something. And if the plan is saying to kill him for him, then maybe I should do that. And so... It makes a lot of sense to me for him to die. They basically turn the dentist into like this mini villain in the musical mm -hmm. where he's addicted to the laughing gas, mm -hmm. like to the extreme, and he's drilling people just because he wants to hurt them exactly. and all this other weird stuff. And in the movie, he's drilling people without anesthetic. Oh my God, all of a sudden Seymour turns around and stabs him with the drill. <laughs> it's... But at the it's same time, not like he has a big motivation to kill, or the dentist even has a real character in the movie. He's just some guy that Seymour kills exactly. because he operates on him without Novocaine. Like there's no real, there's no real reason for him to kill him, except for the plan says to kill people for him. But even then, so I will, I do want to point out that he does still have this mild. He goes, oh, I better use Novocaine for this. And Seymour goes, oh, thank God. I thought you were going to use any. He goes, oh, it's actually for me. It happens in both movie and the musical. So I feel like it still has that kind of air as, okay, this dentist is crazy. Only difference is 
in the musical, this dentist is crazy and evil, <laughs> as opposed to this dentist is just crazy. <laughs> and I think this uh, the dentist is another example of where the musical has changed people to make them look worse, mm-hmm. so that you feel less bad about the fact that Seymour kills them, mm-hmm. and it makes Seymour look that much better. Exactly. I feel like the musical turns Seymour into this kind of anti-hero. Exactly. Whereas the movie's just realistic about the fact that. He's killing everyone. In the musical, he kills himself with Novocaine. He has like this crazy And Seymour just doesn't stop it, and, and, which is know, almost just he as gets, bad. He gets the mask stuck on his body, and he can't breathe, and he starts laughing himself to death. And Seymour is so distraught that he doesn't really do anything. There's a whole song devoted to what Seymour thinks while this is happening, while he's getting his mask stuck on his body. And that song makes Seymour look less of a bad guy because he goes, first he has this gun trying to kill him. And in that whole scene, he's going, oh, now I can do it now while he's putting the mask on. I can shoot him, but I can't. I'm too much of a, I'm too much of a wuss. I can't do this pretty much. And then he, um, the dentist basically goes, oh, what, what am I supposed to do here? I, I'm, I'm dying and you're not helping me. Why? And there's this whole thing between Seymour and him where Seymour still looks like he's scot-free because he still tries not to kill him (laughs) but he still dies anyway (laughs) so the whole purpose of the scene is to say hey um Seymour's a good guy still right he he didn't shoot him he just you know didn't save him from dying what do you think of the name change do you think the name change is important I don't know I'm not really sure I can pinpoint why they changed the I name. I had no clue. I like even, maybe it, maybe it's just Orin is easier to say than Phoebus. But they never say his name really. They 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 say it in in you know lines and stuff, but they don't say it in any songs. They don't really hint at it at all. There's no point really saying. It just seems like a weird change. There's no point to it changing, except for I think Orin Scrivello sounds cooler. Yeah. And he's kind of like it's like an Elvis impersonator. Well, that's just it though. Like the whole thing about the dentist, he isn't. He is Elvis. He's literally there to be Elvis. Like they were like, let's talk about the times here. Let's make Audrey kind of like a Marilyn Monroe type. And and who who could we put her next to that makes her look like like oh let's put Elvis next to her. That'd be awesome, right? Yeah. You know, let's just put a dentist costume on him and you know let that work out. <laughs> <laughs> The police officers versus the street urchins. In the movie, Detective Sergeant Joe Fink and Detective Frank Stooley are the police officers. They are casual observers. In the musical, Chiffon, Crystal, and Ronette are the street urchins. They are the all-knowing eyes of the story. The reason why these are put together is because they are both independently the narrators of the movie and of the musical. Exactly. The narration heard over the movie is Detective Sergeant Joe Fink. That's who narrates the movie, and the police officers stand to be the casual observers and the people who comment on the story as it goes along. While the three street urchins, I like to call them, I always call them doo-wop girls because they literally, all of their music is doos and ahs and doo-wop and da-doos. And so I call them the doo-wop girls. They they end up being the girls who know what's going down the entire time, but they're not going to tell anybody because they don't they don't tattletale or nothing because they're that kind of girls. They're the street urchins. Nobody nobody says nothing about nobody nobody's a tattletale, you know. But even then so they are important because they say things that nobody else is going to say. Like some bad's going to happen here. It's the little shop of horrors. That's the beginning, you know. They're important to say we know that something bad is about to happen in there. And then, you know, there's other things like a song called You Never Know, where when Seymour starts to have more success, they're kind of like saying, you know, first he was this and now he's that. And you never know that that kind of good thing is going to happen. And even in songs called The Meek Shall Inherit. And that one's super, super important because this is when Seymour has already fed Mr. Mushnick and also the dentist to the plant. The dentist has gotten this huge, like, he has gotten so huge, and everybody knows about it. And 
the meek shall inherit is an important song that basically states he has done all these things and does he want to continue is this is this morally right for him to do and they kind of say that you know they, they kind of say you're going to get what's coming to you if you keep going and he does that's the point they're kind of the people who warn everyone secretly and in both cases they're they're characters in the musical and movie perspectively but they're not mm-hmm. they are the most removed people from both stories whereas the the police are there and the subplot is the police are investigating all of the deaths and they think that Seymour did it and they end up accusing him at the very end which leads to Seymour's death because he gets eaten by the plant mm-hmm. they aren't characters in the sense that they don't directly affect anything except for the very end of the film mm-hmm. and in the musical the street urchins are there and they do things for Mushnik and they come in the shop and Mushnik has conversations with them and they talk to Seymour mm-hmm. But they don't really affect much of anything until no. near the end of the musical where it seems like they start to take more of an interest in the events of what's going on. Exactly. And even then, so I feel like they're more of a Greek chorus. They're kind of like the muses of the, the whole musical. They, they're they there to sing, honestly. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> There's no other purpose for them. And so that's why I, I like them being there in the musical, but if they were in a regular story, they they would have no purpose other than to be the background people. They would have no purpose, which I find interesting. All right, we're going to take a break here on the Versus Machine podcast, and we will be right back. Don't miss the next episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't just a television show now on ABC. It's a great new podcast, available at agentsofshield.tv, only on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Unlike TV or radio ads, where every instance the ads are broadcast, they're only played once and lost forever. Perpetual advertising could have repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after they're inserted in a podcast. So even if a podcast is a few years old, your ads will still be impactful to repeat listeners as well as new listeners. This gives your advertising dollar the most bang for the buck. Find out more about perpetual advertising at twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Looking for a straightforward user interface and a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. Pinnacle Entertainment is a dynamic and growing casino entertainment company with nearly 15,000 team members. In 2013, Pinnacle Entertainment acquired Ameristar Casinos, expanding its portfolio to operate in nine states, with 16 locations, including 14 casinos and two racetracks. Pinnacle Entertainment's culture is guided by its values, integrity, care, excellence, innovation, and ownership. It's through these values that we fulfill our commitment to remain focused on doing the very best for our team members, guests, and shareholders. At Pinnacle Entertainment, the future is at the forefront. We focus on thoughtful organic growth in our existing locations and expanding our family of destinations by seeking new opportunities and partnerships. To learn more about Pinnacle Entertainment, visit pnkinc.com. Pinnacle Entertainment an official sponsor of the Two Guys Talking Poker podcast. TwoGuysTalkingPoker.com. I'm Vic Porcelli. That's one guy. And Big Slick, A.K. Andy Kazin. He's the other guy. Hiya. Hey, that's me. You know, Andy and I catch some hot hands when we're playing poker. But if you want to talk about hot sauces, chili peppers, any food with real heat, it's Scott Roberts and the Weekly Firecast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network.
And we're back here on the Versus Machine Podcast. I'm Joseph Burge. And I'm Ryan Stevens. And we today we are processing Little Shop of Horrors, the 1960 film versus the 1982 musical adaptation. But let's get right back into it. The ending. In the movie, the ending suggests all people are evil and end up getting punished. In the musical, the ending suggests that the meek shall inherit the earth. We kind of touched on this before where we talked about how in the movie everyone's basically evil. Everyone does evil stuff constantly in the yeah, movie. And in the musical, it's more made out to be everyone but the little squirrely guy mm-hmm. is is not as evil. And the little squirrely guy is just a victim of circumstance. Exactly. So there's not a whole lot to say other than to say it's an important difference. And, you know, that's what this whole list is. It's important differences. And it's an important difference to say that they're different because it's a tone difference. It's exactly. a difference in the meaning and in the theme. The theme of the movie is it's a black comedy. So it's do bad things, bad things happen. Exactly. But in the musical, the meaning kind of is if you're not nice to people, bad things will happen to you. Exactly. But I feel like when you look at the ending in the movie, it's kind of like, you know, it's like it's like a Looney Tunes. Exactly. Ending. It's like it's like, oh, you fed, um, you know, dead people to a plant. And oh, the plant ate you too bad. Darn. While in the, in the musical, it's more like this this huge battle at the end where you've done this horrible thing to the one that I love I must kill you and then he dies it's <laughs> and then, I mean and he, then in the movie the he point, does try to stop the plant I mean he pulls out a gun and tries oh no, to he shoot tries him to but shoot him but even, and then so it's it, like it a half-hearted like, attempt oh, and it, you you started actually what he does in the mo- like, actually what he does in the movie is he pulls out a knife and tries to stab the plant oh in no, the mouth. same thing happens in the um musical regardless he tries to stop it in either one but it's an unsuccessful attempt, and he seems to make more of an epic attempt in the musical to stop it than he does in the movie. Well, that's because there was, like, a huge musical number part where they have, you know, cymbals and trumpets and stuff where it makes it seem like the king is coming to town to save the village from the evil monster that's about to approach it, opposed to, you know, oh, I'm going to kill you now. Here, stabby, stabby. That the movie does, <laughs> and it's it's just it's a it's a big difference in tone and in theme because there's not as much of a theme to the movie as there is to the musical. The musical's trying to teach you something, whereas the movie's more like, uh, "This is funny." Yeah, in the musical, I see that when they do the Meek Shall Inherit song, it's basically going this quiet person, this person that nobody even watched, that was you know underground pretty much in the middle of a horrible downtown city area suddenly has this huge success off of this horrific thing that's happening but nobody even sees the horrific thing that's happening they only see that this tiny person is now suddenly huge and to me it's kind of like that quiet person in the back of your class yeah he's gonna be a ceo somewhere or he's gonna be the president of the united states but you, the person who was really popular and was making fun of them, yeah, you're probably going to be flipping burgers somewhere. <laughs> that's how it works. The meek shall inherit. And that's the whole point of the musical. And I think that that's why it's it has more of a vibrance in reasoning to what it actually is rather than the movie that it just kind of goes, and it's the end, yay. Plant didn't kill anyone. Woo. The plant's origin. In the movie, Seymour created the plant. In the musical, the plant comes from outer space. This isn't as big of a deal except for the fact that it gives a different meaning to the synergy between Seymour and the plant in the film. Because Seymour created the plant, he says that he crossbred it from different seeds. It seems like Seymour is more friends with the plant than he is in the movie in the movie it's just something he found that happens to be helping him and it promises him money and fame and wealth and women and they kind of have this weird friendship based on that but in the movie it seems like he definitely has this kind of synergy with the plant they're definitely like kindred spirits because they almost grew up together during Mm -hmm. the movie i honestly feel like this though when you look at the plant in the musical 
the plant is basically like this friend that he met and then somehow they're hooked they hooked up because they can give each other something rather than in the in the movie they're kind of one person i mean in at one point in time seymour tries to tell the plant that he doesn't want to kill anybody anymore and somehow the plant knows seymour so well that he hypnotizes him into killing some hooker and so <laughs> like to me although i feel like it was a smart idea to make it seem like seymour created this plant because it made seymour look like a smarter individual i feel like the relationship between the plant and seymour in the musical had more of a realistic touch to it it's like don't talk to strangers because then they're going to bite you in the end i'm not <laughs> sure if it's more realistic i believe the relationship in the movie more than i do in the musical well, of course you i feel like that. it's movie versus a musical no that, that's not what it is at all it's it's the fact that the two it's the fact that he feels for this thing because they grew up together it makes more sense when he starts cutting his fingers and feeding the thing the plant is giving him absolutely nothing at the point in the musical where he's cutting his fingers and feeding it his blood yes, all he, it's doing is growing and somebody came in and bought some flowers no it doesn't even start talking to him nope, i completely disagree the reason why he cuts his fingers is because he is trying to one save their shop the only thing that he has going for him right now how and is you he's making everyone around him happy you and that's saw, what he wants no you sir are ridiculous <laughs> the plant is like his best friend it's like his kid in the movie yeah it's like his kid in the movie but to me when you have literally this no this random stranger comes up to you and you and offers you him, some drugs and you say yeah man here's a hundred bucks but to me that's more realistic because that's how a lot of people start becoming addicts that's how i feel you don't just so what was he an addict to cutting he would know he's being an addict to people around him being happy because of this plant all the success that he success he doesn't even look happy most of the musical he looks like he's miserable he looks like he's miserable but as long as the people around him are happy it's okay this is ridiculous how can no no this is a ridiculous argument and if he has nothing to live for and that's the only thing that he has to live for that makes a lot of sense to me well obviously we don't agree but we want to know what you think Go to versusmachine.com and click the contact button in the top right-hand corner of the page and tell us which Audrey 2 do you think is better, the one that Seymour created or the one from Outer Space? Death. In the movie, all death is deliberate. In the musical, all death is accidental. We've touched on this a lot already, so just a couple words. It's a difference in how you view Seymour. Mm -hmm. That's all that it really is, is a difference in how you view Seymour. In the in the movie he's evil because he kills everyone willingly in the musical it's not so evil by most people's standards because he just doesn't do anything to stop most exactly. of the death the first death was the dentist and basically he kind of gassed himself to death and the second death was mr mushnick mr mushnick kind of just fell into the plant and the third death actually seymour wasn't even there to see because he was going out to get a piece of steak for the plant because he didn't want to kill anybody anymore and somehow audrey conned i mean audrey too conned audrey in to him trying to eat her and then she he even tries to save her and it's successful and unsuccessful and then after that he tries to kill the plant and he ends up eat, getting eaten himself whereas in the in the movie he chops up all the people in the cemetery in order to feed them to the plant. He literally stabs the dentist. He almost forcibly feeds every, and he kills the hooker and forcibly feeds her to the plant. Everyone that uh, Seymour kills in the movie is killed by Seymour on purpose. Mm -hmm. Setting. In the movie, the events are set in Skid Row, Los Angeles. In the musical, the place is set in Skid Row, New York. The only reason why we really need to talk about this is it's a difference in how you view the characters. In when they're in Skid Row, Los Angeles, most of the people seem fairly wealthy. Most mm -hmm. of the people that are in the musical and the most of the people that come in contact seem fairly wealthy. Exactly. In the musical, everyone seems really poor. Completely poor. And and I say this now because in the musical, they make it more of a point to say 
this place is the most worst place to ever live and be in because there's an entire song about how horrible this place is <laughs> like um it it's devoted to how people act in that place and it makes it seem dirty and gross and disgusting and nobody wants to actually be there and everybody's trying to find a way out opposed to in the the movie nobody's trying to find a way out of skid row everybody seems like they're they're doing a good job it's even a couple schoolgirls that come in every once in a while and they talk about the committee that they're doing for the rose bowl it's just it's just so darling to live in skid row and so <laughs> it's just important to note this because it's important to note that the people have different motivations it's 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 almost like they they almost barely mention that they're even in skid row in the in the movie while in the musical they make that the entire musical the musical touch of levity the humor in these two is extremely different in how they deal with what's supposed to be funny and what's not supposed to be funny as we said in the very beginning of the podcast because this is a 1960 black comedy it's kind of playing on that sick and twisted part of your brain where the things that should not be funny are funny. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of that whole, I guess for you and me, our generation, it would be that whole South Park Beavis and Butthead idea where things that should not be funny to you are incredibly funny. Yeah. And that's where the humor comes from in the movie. It's, ha, this is really evil, but you're laughing. The opposite of that in the musical, everything is funny on purpose. It's not like it, – it's it's funny because the little jokes that they put into it, you know, the the part where Audrey talks about how she met the dentist in the gutter and they kind of do a little beat there where, like – and, and um, Seymour goes, the gutter? And she goes, the gutter. That's just how they do it, you know. And, and there's different, you know, little funny, almost play-like beats that are in it. I mean, obviously, it's a musical, so it has to be like that, but – it's there for the audience to laugh, you know, and in order for an audience to laugh in front of you, you have to have moments where set up joke, set up joke, you know, even with songs, set up joke, you know, and rather I'm, than being like the movie where there's not really a set up joke. It's just like this. This is funny because what's happening right now is so ridiculous. I have to laugh. I'm not sure which one more people will laugh at. Mm -hmm. I think it all depends on how easily you're offended because the 60, 1960 film can be extremely offensive Oh yeah! if you watch it that way. If you watch it that way, Mushnik will be extremely offensive to you. It, 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 it literally will. And it's not because there's anything wrong with the fact that he's a Jewish man or anything like that. It's because they make him so, so, stereotypically. so stereotypically Jewish that if that's who you are that's going to be really offensive if to you you're jewish you're going to think that's anti-semitic but if you're not that way you might find it funnier than if you were that way either way it's probably not the greatest way to try to gather humor <laughs> but it's the way that roger corman thought that he should get humor out of this movie and i guess that's a sign again that's a sign of the stereotype stereotypes of the times where people back then thought that that was okay and I don't necessarily know if it is. I mean, even then, so if you think about the time, it was 1963. It was 60, 60, 1960. Yeah. Okay, 1960. Yeah. At that time, there was a thing called the Civil Rights Movement. <laughs> and so <laughs> it, it could be that kind of thing. You know, a lot of people did find that funny because a lot of people were making very racist jokes <laughs> and so <laughs> but what i really want to know is what you guys think do you think that that type of black comedy is a bad thing is it a good thing is it just a sign of the times of how we've grown that we don't use that anymore let us know by heading to versusmachine.com and clicking the contact button at the top right hand corner of the page and let us know what you think of black comedy of the 1960s it's easy to corrupt the hopeless i feel like the entire time, it's basically going, if you take care of people, then they won't do bad things. You know, they won't have a reason to, I guess, saying that. You know, when you see the poor, basically, if you have to steal to live, then obviously nobody's helped you. You can't really do much of anything. 
you have to do bad in order to survive. And to me, even though Seymour was a little bit less like that, it's kind of the same purpose and the same reasoning. I mean, he literally had nothing to live for. Honestly, I feel like Seymour was a step away from killing himself. And like, no, like, I feel like literally that's that's the setting that he was in. Like, if you listen to no, if you listen to the first um, things that he sings in that in that in song Skid Row, it's just so depressing. You just want to give him a giant hug and say it's going to be okay here. Live in my house for a while, because if you don't, then obviously he's going to do something bad when something good happens to him because he doesn't know any better. And if that good thing is killing people and feeding it to a bloodthirsty plant then it makes a lot of sense to me if somebody would have gave him more of a chance then i don't think he would have done anything that as bad as and drastic as what he had did i i'm sorry i don't necessarily agree with you because i think if you're hopeless you should know better you should know better than to get your hopes and all it put all your eggs in one basket do anything that one person tells you to make you hopeful and get that wrapped up into it to the point that he did. I think he should have known better. I think if he's been hopeless his whole life and nothing's ever gone his way, he should know better than to believe that he can just rely on one thing to make everything go his way. That still goes to the point where I think that he was a step away from killing himself. And if he would have thought that, if he really had no hope, then there would have been no story. I don't think that there was any indication that he was going to kill himself. I but know certainly that, that, but it's certainly that he was hopeless. Yeah, and to me, when you have no hope, then you're just kind of not even living anymore. It, it's 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 an age old story that it's easy to tell people that something is good when they've never had anything good and they've never seen good before. But in terms of when this movie was made, it was made around a time when people would have known better to say no to things that look too good. But that's just it, though. I don't feel like Seymour was that done with hoping. To me, like, even in the song, Skid Row, he goes, someone show me the way to get out of here. You know, because I constantly pray I'll get out of here. He still had hope. He prayed. (laughs) You know, and that's, and to me, you know, somebody saying, Oh God, I really wish that something good would happen to me and then something good suddenly happens to him. There's a reasoning behind that. There has to be. And so if something good happened to him that was actually positive and not as evil and negative as what occurred, then there would have been a big huge difference to who he is as a person and how he feels what he thought I mean how we feel against what he did. I can see your point there. However, I still think that people should know better. Mm-hmm. Making a musical out of a movie to a movie musical. This is kind of a thing that I wanted to throw in here just as a reference point for education. Mm-hmm. This story has been continuously adapted for years and years and years from several play version from several musical versions. It went from the from a short story about a man-eating plant to the movie to several musical versions to a movie musical with, in 1986, I think it was, with uh, Rick Moranis in it. S. Seymour. And so it's really kind of this weird thing to see it adapted so many times because it's really hard to see something start in one place and end up in in terms of the movie musical and the movie musical where the movie musical is not even like the musical. No, at all. It's really different. And so the point that I wanted to make with this is when you adapt something that many times, it's really hard to keep it. And that's where we we got with The Little Shop of Horrors. So if you've watched the movie and never seen the musical and never seen the original film, you don't understand Little Shop of Horrors as it stood originally. Yeah. And so it's a big deal to me to make this, to put this out to all of you. You can watch the 1960 film. It's on Amazon Instant for, I think, 3 or $4.00. You can watch the movie, the original 1960 film, and if you want to watch the musical, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or somewhere else. 
but don't rely on that 1986 movie musical to think that you understand the story of Little Shop of Horrors because it's completely different and we both agree that you need to watch the source. Exactly. And even then, so I feel like um, the whole street urchins thing and how like in the 1986 version, they're literally changing clothes every five seconds. They look glamorous. They look like they're just like rolling in the deep, just rolling it all. And the fact that, you know, in the ending, people um, watched it and they um, like basically they had an early screening and what they did was watch the movie as it was with, you know, the actual ending that they had in the musical. And because they cut out so many things, so many of the meat of what is going on in the actual musical, people literally hated that version that that Seymour died and Audrey died. And how dare they? They're supposed to be in love and be together forever. And I feel like because they left out the meek shall inherit the whole song, not just the little little snippet they put in. Um um, they cut out um, You Never Know, and they put in a whole different song with the same exact um, – I mean, they put a whole different um, lyrics with the same exact song where it's basically like some fun now or whatever. I feel like a lot of that is just it, – it loses its meaning to it, and it loses, okay, this is why Seymour dies, and this is why Audrey dies, and this is why these things happen. And once you get to the end, you want Seymour to live. And that's the sad part because you don't understand really much why he was doing the things he was doing to begin with because all the stuff that explained that was gone. And so that's why I feel like the you really have to look at all the other ones to understand exactly where the feeling is in that musical and, and, in, and even in the movie. So the really big takeaway is do your homework. <laughs> is Seymour evil? This is a really hard question for a lot of people that I know that have studied you know the movie and the musical and the movie musical and even for Ryan and myself to try to answer because in the movie he's definitely evil he kills everyone deliberately he does everything with little to no provocation just simply because he thinks that's what he should do And in the musical, it gets a little bit grayer because he's hopeless. Somebody tells him, you know, the plant literally says, I don't remember the exact lyrics, but he says, I can give you a car. I can give you women. I'll get you a room at the Ritz. No, my favorite line in in the song Feed Me was, I'm your genie. I'm your friend. I'm your willing slave. Take a chance. Just feed me. And you know the kind of eats, the kind of red hot treats, the kind of sticky licky sweets I crave. That's what he says. It's like literally goes, I can give you anything. I am a genie. Just do what I say and everything will come to you. It's kind of like... So (laughs) the gray comes in where you have somebody provoking him like that. And most of what happens to people in the musical is Seymour doesn't directly kill them. They die and he doesn't stop it for one reason or another. And so the question becomes then, is the lack of action just as evil as action itself? And from my perspective, the lack of action is actually almost more evil than the act itself because he could have saved almost every person in the musical, but he chose not to for selfish reasons. And to me, that's completely evil. And to me, I feel like the actual doing it is a little bit more evil because then you have no remorse to it. Because I feel like even though Seymour didn't save these people, in in the back of his mind, he's going... I wish I saved that person. Oh my God, I'm such a horrible person for not saving this person. Why did I do this to myself? And and it eats at him through the entire musical. Uh, opposed to in the movie, he just kind of goes, all the success is happening and we're going to get married soon and it's going to be great. It, what, do you feel anything about how you killed everyone at all? <laughs> the movie literally, The movie literally reminds me of a newer film that just came out called You're Next, where the, <laughs> oh, where God. everything is just so morally, you know, ambiguous that it's it's kind of strange. Exactly, and to me, that's why I feel like when you say, "Oh, he's more evil," I'm like, there is no way that the Seymour in the musical is more evil. Because he actually has that moral fiber. He just has no backbone. He chose to push us it. not to do it. He chose not to do it because he has no backbone himself. 
opposed to the person who's literally killing people and not feeling anything at all? I just is that a little bit more psychotic I just, to you? I just I just think it's <laughs> I just think if you had the chance to change it and you didn't, it's it's worse. But if you literally are doing it yourself and you're kind of being a crazy person, then that's more okay than oh I can't save you. That's more evil to you. I have to say it is because you, especially if you have the moral fortitude, the Seymour, for all we know, the Seymour in the movie is a psychopath and doesn't have a moral compass and has absolutely no idea what he's doing. Whereas the Seymour in the musical actually has a moral compass, uses it quite often during the musical and still does nothing moral. Wait, so let, let's say this. Do we give him a free pass because he has no moral compass? No. But exactly. To me, that's like saying, oh, well, you know, the person who accidentally killed their daughter because they left him in the in the sink is more evil than the person who literally bludgeoned her, her daughter to death. Just saying. <laughs> I really, I want to know what you guys think. Obviously, we can't agree, so we want, we want a tiebreaker. Let us know what you think by going to versusmachine.com, clicking that contact button at the top right-hand corner of the page, and let us know if you think Seymour is evil or not. We've had a lot of fun and a lot of kind of arguments with the movie and the musical. And the big takeaway from this is a difference in how you adapt something. When we adapt one thing to another, you end up leaving and adding things that may not have necessarily made sense to begin with. We've seen that in a lot of the books to movies that we've done, and we've seen that in a lot of everything that we've done. Adaptations are really hard to keep the same theme throughout. But in terms of musicals, it's very hard to keep almost anything. <laughs> you make a musical out of anything, and it's going to be the exact opposite of what it was. I mean, there are so many musicals that are based off – and I I've, I said this to Joe. I'm like, literally, there are – countless numbers of musicals made but out of all of them probably about 95 percent of them were from a book a movie a song and in the list goes on they no musicals to me have ever been just made off of somebody else's mind they they usually it's something happened to me or i heard this and i took that material in kind of Origamied it and turned it into a musical. <laughs> so the big takeaway, as we said before, from all of this for us is you have to look at where the musical came from to really understand the musical, the feeling behind the musical, the idea behind the musical, and the musical itself. And in terms of the film, the film is really where a lot of the idea of this entire series started. And so you have to watch that 1960 film in order to really understand what's going on here. And so the big takeaway is we want you to do your homework and go back in time and start with the beginning before you just assume that that, you know, musical is it all. And that's in the case, a lot of cases, I mean, you've been in what, seven musicals? Yeah. So in a lot of cases where you make a musical out of something, it's really important for you to do your homework, mm -hmm. especially if you want to understand anything about what's going on. And, you know, when I, I actually was in this show, I played Seymour. So I had to look at the 1960 version. I, I watched it and I was like, OK, I basically said I could not be that Seymour because it, it, the story behind it is, is sound, but that character itself was completely different than how they wrote it into the musical. I watched it to feel what other people felt from it, but I didn't necessarily take a lot from it, opposed to, you know, not taking anything at all. I would have not experienced exactly what the writer was trying to do, the playwright was trying to do when I, when I approached it. And so it was very important for me to see it, but not necessarily take stuff from it, because that Seymour was... Kind of nuts, <laughs> but you have to you have to study those things if you want if you want to look at um, a musical and I say this to like a lot of high schoolers too if you want to look at musicals and want to actually perform in them look at what happened before that musical because a lot of things that that were made from that musical are very important to understand to get 
the characters behind them. And that's kind of why I wanted to do this one so badly. <laughs> and that about does it here for us at the Versus Machine. Make sure you contact via via our Facebook presence at facebook.com slash Versus Machine or the contact button at the top right-hand corner of versusmachine.com and let us know what you think about this fight or any of our other ones. But until next time, I'm Joseph Burge. And I'm Ryan Stevens. And we'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at versusmachinepodcast.com. That's versusmachinepodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power down.